thank you for your goodness, Father. Thank you for the blessings of your word. I pray, Father, that you would take your word, Lord, and I pray that you would go up and down each row, Lord, speak to each heart. I pray, Lord, if there's need of salvation, that those individuals would get saved today, Lord. And Lord, if it's areas that we need to improve our service for you, I pray that you would speak to those hearts. Speak to my heart today, Lord. I need to hear from you. Pray you'd be with our pastor, fill him with the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. good to be back here, and I'm glad you're back here. I'm glad you're here. Hello, everybody. I'm, uh, I'm going to try to keep you awake because I'm going to try to keep me awake while I'm keeping you awake. And something sounds different here. What sounds, does something sound different? Sounds kind of hollow or I'm in a tunnel or something. And if I need to, if uh, Brother Wayne can't get it corrected, it'll be your fault. 
How is it? Still something wrong, right? Something right wrong? Something wrong? How's the sound? Does it sound clear enough for me to use this, or should I go to the other one? Uh, the other one? This sounds clear? Somebody talk to me. I mean, just, you're looking at me like, you need a microphone out there. The, um, all right, I, I'm really am excited to be here. We finally finished up uh, for about, uh, I got about two and a half months, I think, that I don't have to travel to another meeting. Amen. And so that's really exciting. Amen. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Uh, so, uh, which means your sermons are going to get longer because <laughs> I can actually prepare. Uh, so, no, no. The, uh, uh, we're just really excited about that. I've been looking so forward to it. Just been looking for this day where we can get through this and just throw back from uh, Kansas City area last night and got in about 12.15. And, and uh, so... But just thrilled to be able to be here, and, and we've gotten our stuff moved into a house. That's all we've done is move into a house, uh, and, and you just uh, don't walk around anywhere in the dark because you're going to fall over something because there's boxes everywhere and all kinds of confusion. I looked at my wife this morning. I said, do you have any idea where my socks are? <laughs> and she looked at me, and she said, no. <laughs> so uh, I have no socks on. So uh, no, no, I <laughs> do so, uh, this is an incredible passage of Scripture. It really is just a wonderful passage. It's, it says, when the Lord turned again the captivity, captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. You know, when you're set free, it's like a dream. It really is. It's just, I mean, uh, it, there's some things that have happened in my life that were so good that I'd wanted to happen for so long that I have at times dreamed that they didn't happen. And then wake up and realize it's okay. It's taking place. And so, and, I, and I'd love to get more specific about that, but I, but I, but I can't. But it says our, that our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Uh, you know what? When, when something really happens in our life, when we find salvation, we, are, we ought to be filled with laughter. Yeah. It ought to be something pretty good, it, and, and we ought to be filled with singing. And I challenge you, sing more, sing more. God loves a joyful noise, and uh, that means you don't have to sing good, just sing, sing out, and sing, or should I be singing, sing well? Uh, which way is that, proper English? Anyway, uh, honestly, raise that hand, Ms. Linda, yeah. I mean, look at her. She got up here and sang for us just a minute ago, and she can't sing, and so... Uh, no, so, so, uh, but it's a wonderful thing that our, that our hearts are filled with laughter and, and their tongue was singing. And then, it, and then it says, then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. You know, it's, it, it is, folks, I'm going to just challenge you. Has anybody recently or has anybody ever come up to you and said something's different about you? You know what? If they hadn't, it needs to start happening. You need to be so happy and so much singing and so joy-filled, somebody ought to look and say, you got something and I need it. You know what I mean? You got something. You know, I love uh, back, I just, I just drew a blank. Help me. Uh, you can't help me. It'd be embarrassing. Tell me your name again, brother. I just drew a blank. Carl. Carl Jackson. Carl Jackson. And you know what I love about Carl Jackson? 
Nothing. Uh, but no. You know what I love about Carl Jackson is that every time I see him, man, that smile goes from here to here. He looks like he's happy to see me. Now, he probably smiles at everybody that way, but he looks like he's happy to see me. I think, I keep hoping he's so happy he's going to hand me some money or something. But, uh, but he does. He just smiles. And you know what? That does something to my soul. And I look at that, that look, that countenance says to me, there must be something going on inside of him. There must be something good inside of him. There must be some positive spirit. And where'd that come from? You know, I go to go to to an airport. I hope I don't have to do much more of that anymore. But go to an airport, and when I go to that airport and go there to get a cup of coffee someplace, which I don't get coffee anymore, so I get my chai tea. Amen. And so I go up there to get that chai tea, and and I walk up there, and they'll be behind the counter, and some of them it's like this, and I'll say, "Could I have a a, a, a medium chai tea?" And I look at him and say, are you having a good day? And sometimes they look at me and they go, no. And I said, well, it must be better now because I'm here. And every once in a while they smile. Most of the time they just say, take your stinking tea and leave. But sometimes you walk up there to the counter and, boy, you say, could I have that, that medium chai tea? And, and they look at you and they say, it's my pleasure. And I think... Are you a Christian? Because in this old world we live in, most everybody's miserable except Christians. And the sad thing is a whole lot of Christians are miserable. But, you know, we ought not be miserable because we have been set free. We have been set free. It says the Lord hath done great things for us. They, they said, why is this going on in your life? Because the Lord's done great things for us. Folks, smile at me. Has he done great things for you? He has done great things for us. Now you say, what does it mean then? The very next thing it says, turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They just said that we've been set three, and it says again, now turn again our captivity, O Lord. So what does that mean? I really don't know, and I'm going to try to find out sometime. But he says this, he says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing the sheaves with him. When I'm asked to sign a Bible, and, and a lot of times you go, especially youth conferences and things and meetings like we were just at, somebody will ask me to sign their Bible. I'm not sure what for, but it's just something somebody started a long time ago, and, uh, and so I'll do that. And I'll put my name in there. And I'll sign a verse, and my verse is Psalm 126. It's two verses, Psalm 126, 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing the sheaves with him. Do you know, when I, I look at these verses, I see the promise in there just like I see the promise of salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I look at this, and he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing the sheaves with him. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. This is the song of degrees, the Bible says in this chapter, which simply means they're going up. They're looking up from their captivity. They've been taken up now. They're, they're being brought up and being freed. 
Now they're free to sow themselves. Now they're free to sow for God. And what would they sow? I mean, what's the scripture talking about? It's talking about we're being set free now, and now God says if you'll sow in tears, you'll reap in joy. What are we going to sow? Listen to me. What you sow is you sow your freedom to somebody else so they can be free. Why the tears, though? They that sow in tears. Those that sow in tears, I believe, uh, they that sow in tears has two connotations, I believe, two possibilities. One is that they sowed while they were captive and brokenhearted because of their captivity. So they sowed prayer for deliverance. I think that's a possibility. I think it's a reality. I think they sowed in tears prayers of deliverance. But I think the greater meaning for us today is this, I believe, is that once freed, they sowed with a broken heart for those who had not been freed. Once they were freed, they began to sow with a broken heart for those who are not free. It's going to be a really simple message today, but but it's such a very important message today. The truth is, it is a life-changing message, both for the hearer today and for those who are the benefit of the hearer. Today, everyone in this room should be, really should be in one of two categories. Either we are still captive and brokenhearted because of our captivity, We're here today seeking God that we might be free from that captivity. You know, that's one reason people come to church. We've had, they're sitting in this room right now where they walked in the door and here was the statement. I was driving by and and just, I felt like this is a place to come visit. I felt like this is a place to come in. And when they came in, somebody told them how they could be set free. Told them how they could know for sure they were going to heaven. Told them how they could uh, be set free from the sin that, that so binds us and controls us in this world. And you know what? They're sitting here today and just in moments that as I've been preaching, I've seen smiles come upon their faces. Why? Because their life is new. They've been set free. There's a song in their heart now. Now, either we are still captive and brokenhearted because of our captivity, or we are here uh, and we've been freed. And the honest truth is, from the Scripture, we ought to be brokenhearted about those who are not set free. 1975, I was entering in my junior year of college at Memphis State. I was imprisoned by the sin and the world. I was in constant turmoil, struggling for direction and purpose for life. And the only real purpose that I could find was one more dance, one more party. I was struggling for a reason to live. And honestly, at the party, I was the life of the party. But as soon as the party was over, it was depression. And fear, which came upon me. And then something you're going to hear many, many times, I'm sure, as long as I'm here, November the 8th, 1975, this Psalm 126 became a reality in my life. 
You see, the Lord turned again my captivity. And when he did, I was like one that dreamed. And whether you can understand this or not, for so many months and so many times, I'd laid in a bed and I could not sleep. And so much fear would grip my soul about this thing called eternity. This thing of why I dwelled on it so much, but I would think about every breath I take, I'm a breath closer to death. And watch this, everything in my life I've been able to control. When I played ball, if they wanted me faster, I got faster. If they wanted me stronger, I got stronger. If they wanted me bigger, I got bigger. Whatever they, they wanted me to jump higher, I jumped higher. Whatever they wanted, I could do if I wanted it bad enough. And I faced something I never faced before, death. And I couldn't control it. Did you know this morning, it's, it's, it's a good statement and for some, and it's a hard statement for others, but every breath you take, you're a breath closer to death. And you can't stop it. You say, yeah, I can. I can hold my breath. But you're a breath closer to death. The Hopper family of is is such a reality to them right now. I'll be honest with you, I knew the call, the text was coming. It was just a matter of when, but it's still, it's so hard to look at it and read it. And I, I just got here in time, praise God, to get to meet Brother Jerry and, and to be every time encouraged by him that he believed in me. Every time. He believed in me. He would just shake my hand and he was such an enthusiastic encouragement to my wife and I that God's going to do something through you. God's going to do something at that church. And I'm a human being like everybody else, and I'm telling you, it just lights your fire to believe somebody believes in you. But we're all moments away from being with Brother Jerry. You see, as David said about this, the baby that he lost, David said, he's not coming back to me, but I'm going to go to him. You see, but I was set free. And I, I slept for the first time. And I, I can't even understand it because I'm not sure. I had a, a full comprehension of everything. But for some reason, that night, I laid my head on my pillow and I just went to sleep. The fear was gone. The fear has been gone since 1978. 
Then was my mouth filled with laughter. I began to find joy and happiness. And it says our tongue was singing. And, and that's who I was. I, I began to find joy and happiness and purpose. I did not know anything. But, you know, it's so funny. But I didn't know anything. But, but I, I knew something had happened in me. And, and back then they had this movement called the I Found It movement. You know, anybody old enough remember that? They had this I Found It button. And it said it meant I found a new life in Jesus Christ. And, and look, I didn't go to church. I didn't even think, but I met some kids that said, I found it. And I said, you know what? I found it too. Of course, guys started coming out with other things and said, I never lost it. <laughs> but I wear that button around. I found it. I can still remember the first time John Bramlin ever met him. It seemed like constantly I was crossing his path. And that man, he grabbed me and he pointed at that button and he said, do you know what that means? And I said, yes. Man was a monster. Yeah, I know what it means. He thought I was wearing it as a joke. Of course, I had it on my tiger costume and I found it. The best way I knew to tell the great things that God had done for me. I didn't know how any other way, but I was making a statement to a world out there that I'd been miserable, but I found it. The first night I went out with Jo Beth, I asked her when we came back and sat down on the steps and for about four hours talked, I asked her, are you a Christian? I'll be honest with you, I don't even know where that, state, that question came from. I wasn't in church. I'd never been, I'd never been baptized. I'd only been saved for about 10 months. But there was somebody in me. He was about to explode my chest as I sat there and talked to her. And somehow she was different from everybody I'd ever been with. And I looked at her and it just seemed absolutely vital that I know from the get-go, are you a Christian? And she lied to me and said yes. And so... Uh, <laughs> She would do anything to get me. <laughs> I ran, but she was faster. And uh, <laughs> But it was much later, folks, when I realized that, and this is going to be a little bit hard today, and, and I, I really battled. I almost didn't do this message today, but I, I just feel that I must. But it was much later. And I finally realized that some that I loved may not know of this great salvation. This great freedom. Eventually we found a wonderful church and God began to move in our lives. Almost immediately, the church was not, and forgive me in this statement, but, but we need to hear it. Church was not a place that we could come once a week so we could feel better about how we lived. Rather, it became a place that we desired to be for it taught us how to live. And we realized it was changing our lives. It was at the church that I learned to love my wife. It was at the church that I learned to care about others. It was at the church that I learned about rearing my family. And that's why I'm going to do this Sunday night series, because it was at the church where I learned how to have a family and keep that family. 
It was at the church that I learned that actions truly have consequences. It was at the church that I learned obedience to the the word of God brings blessing. Obedience brings blessing. It was at the church that I learned decisions determine destiny. It was at the church that I first became brokenhearted over those I loved who might not be saved and set free. I can't tell you exactly when it happened, and I can't tell you why it took so long to happen, but I got saved in 1975, and late 1978, we found a church and started going. We got married in July of 78. We started going to church in late 1978. I don't don't remember when, October, November, somewhere in there. And I'll be honest with you, I, I was excited about being in an environment where, you know, I was excited about being in an environment where you could really laugh and enjoy people and have no regrets afterwards. I was really excited about young people that that didn't have to go out and party and get drunk and take drugs and do things in order to have fun. I was really excited to be around somebody that could say, I had a great time last night, and behind that they wouldn't say, hey, I had a great time last night, I puked my brains out. I never understood that statement. How can you have a great time and you puked your brains out? But that's what these guys would say. And I was glad that I was around people that that were happy and that they could laugh and they could enjoy. And you know what? You didn't have to talk filthy for the joke to be funny. I was thrilled. And so maybe it was just the excitement about what God was doing in my life, what God was doing in my marriage, what God was doing to just take this this oppression away and the peace to be in in my life. And maybe that's why just it was a delayed reaction, but somewhere in that first year, suddenly in a church service, it suddenly hit me, wait a minute, if this is so good for you, what about those you love? And God broke my heart, and I found this verse, these verses. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And for almost 40 years, if I go more than a week without shedding a tear over the lost, and I, I began to pray and say, dear God, please bring them back. Please break my heart again. Because it's a promise. Now I'm going to give a little bit of testimony. It was, the truth is, my love and my burden almost drove my family away. Because I would be around the people of the church and the young people, and I just loved it because they were so many people. They were saved. They were happy in their salvation. They were they were trying to live a life that were just not just just tainted with this with sin. And we all have sin, and I understand that. But let me just make a statement. I'm I'm about fed up with this statement. God sees all sin the same, so don't think your sin's any better. Let me help you. Eternally, that's true. Because all sin will send you to hell. But if you read the Bible, you'll find out God thinks different about different sin. 
He has different punishments for different sin. So if there's different punishment, sin must be a little bit different in this life. Just like you got a different punishment if you murder somebody or if you, or if you spit, uh, steal a pack of gum. Hello? That, that different punishment is based on the Word of God. But I was so happy around them, and, and that was by nature. I, I loved and I enjoyed, and I, but I would come around family now, and the moment I would meet a family member that I was not sure if they were saved or not, uh, this overwhelming broken heart would come upon me, and I couldn't smile, I couldn't laugh, I couldn't enjoy. All I could think about is how, God, can I make sure that they're going to go to heaven? I became so burdened and brokenhearted that my spirit around them was not good. The truth is, I didn't enjoy them like I'd once enjoyed them. That didn't make them look at the church positively because they didn't see me while around the church. So I'm going to just try to give you a little testimony to help you. If you've got lost loved ones, can I tell you, this is what I had to learn. I had to learn, listen, I prayed, and, 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 and I took Psalm 126, 5 and 6, and you can ask my wife, uh, a hundred uh, times or more, I came to an altar, and I knelt at an altar, and I wept, and I said, oh, God, please save. And I would call off different family members and say, God, please make sure they're saved. God, please make sure. And listen, I would weep. There, I sometimes I'd be in my police uniform. He said, Man doesn't act that way, but listen to me. God said, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. So I didn't care what anybody thought about me, I'm gonna beg God in tears. But I came to a real reality that, that I had, I'd done, I pushed, I, I tried to witness, I tried to do everything. And then when I came to the point where I realized, okay, God, I've got to back, I, I've got to allow you to do this. And Father, I'm going to love them. And Father, I'm going to have the right spirit around them. I'm going to find a way to laugh at everything I can laugh at. I'm going to find a way to enjoy everything I can enjoy. And God, I'm going to keep praying though, and I'm going to keep weeping because they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. I began to come to an altar, and probably for two or three years, I came to an altar after church service, after church service, and I shed, I know, thousands of tears over, over ones that I love, that, that, and I just begged God, and it was at church that I, I preached my first sermon, and at the church that that the very first person on that sermon uh, that I preached came forward. And when they came forward, uh, that very first person to ever come to an altar while I preached, and this is hard for me to say, but that very first person that ever came while I preached was my mama. And when I walked down and shook her hand, she said to me, words that will ring in my ears until I get to heaven. She said, son, I want what you have. I want what you have. May I ask while here at church, 
Would you allow God to break your heart for someone? Would you would you ask God to allow you to be willing to shed some tears, asking God to convict them and bring them to salvation? And it may be a mom or a daddy. It may be a brother or sister. It may be an aunt or an uncle. It may be a grandparent. Maybe a son or a daughter. I don't know who it is. But I know this was so new to us that we prayed and prayed for so many that we loved. And God honored his word. And God gave us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to talk to them to see them trust Christ. They that sow in tears, they that seek with a broken heart, God says, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with him. And for this new generation, if you, just to help you, a sheave is bound up fruits of the field that a person has collected. You know, after you sow, God says something's going to come forth. And you're going to get to come home with the fruit of your sowing. And he said, they're doubtless. You see, when you sow and you water it with tears, the field will produce and you will come back with the fruit you seek. But let me tell you, and let me warn you, don't be impatient with God because God doesn't say that the, the fruit's going to come this season. It's not going to necessarily come in our timetable. Again, I hate to use Brother Hopper, but I've talked to him enough to, to know from testimony that maybe the early days weren't the best. But can I tell you this? Somewhere along the way, somebody's prayers, somebody's tears reached out to a man that I don't know what the early years were like, but I know what the, the last few weeks and months were like. They were excited about heaven. They were thrilled about getting there. And they were a blessing to me, an encouragement to me to keep on sowing the seed. How long must I sow? All I can tell you is you keep sowing till the crop comes in. You keep sowing till it comes. I'm not preaching to you verses. What I'm preaching to you is a life. I didn't read these verses and somebody told me they work. 
God placed them in my heart. A long time ago. And from that day to this, I've continued to sow in tears. And I know I've even been, you know, people say, you know, you cry a lot. When you preach, I'll be honest with you, at first I was embarrassed about that. But I'm not anymore. The truth is if they dry up, that's when I get worried. When they vanish and I preach and there's nothing there, I get concerned. God, is my heart getting cold? You see, this is not an occupation for me. This is an incredible blessing that God gives me the opportunity to do what I think is the most important thing there is in the world. It's to challenge others to know that they're set free. And to challenge those who are set free to tell somebody else how to be set free. And you know where it starts? It starts with your family. It starts with those you love most. It starts at home. Father, I pray that you'd bless today.